What on earth are all the things you do not want to do if you get qualified for a mortgage? That's the theme of today's episode. Uh, and I think you're going to have a lot of fun. Derek and I hopped on for a solid 25, maybe 35 minutes a day and rattled through so many things. There were just ideas that just kept popping up, popping up, popping up with things not to do when you're qualifying for a mortgage. And we had so many that we decided we're going to do two parts to this podcast. Part one is all about qualifying. So if you're interested in qualifying for a mortgage for your first, second, third, or investment property, you, you, this is, has to be one of your top listened to episodes. If you're a seasoned vet and you want to get caught up to speed or you're a real estate agent, you have to listen to this episode. So much good stuff in here, um, if I might say my, so myself. And a lot of them, unfortunately, in fact, I think almost every single one of these things that's come up here in this episode is something that we've heard of or seen happen in the past. And I'm sure we're going to see it again in the future. But if you're listening or you're watching, you know this is not going to happen to you. Guys, it is past or getting past past silly season right now. We're about halfway through the year and we've seen the market shift in so many different ways already, but it still remains competitive. If you are not getting top-notch experience from your bank or your mortgage broker, remember that the guys here at Thrive Mortgage Co. are focused on your financial future. We do have a clear selection process of clients that we like to onboard. So reach out so we can make sure to take a very good care of you and provide you with a five-star experience. Enough about that. If you're loving the podcast, make sure to leave us the five-star review. We are asking you guys for a little bit of help. That's the one thing. The one thing that we want, if you guys are loving the show, which is to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That would mean the absolute world to us. Share us, tag us. We see you guys out there giving us the shares and the tags, and it means a lot to us. So thank you. Enjoy this episode here with Derek Williamson and myself, Alex McFadden of Thrive Mortgage Co. And we'll talk to you on the other side. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. This one is around you, like the borrower, right? If you're preparing to buy, if you're in the middle of a purchase, if you just remove subjects, there's a lot of things that can come up and a lot of mistakes that we've pe seen people make that are scary as hell. And we want to help people avoid those issues in the future. Um, yeah. So let's dig into it. Yeah. I love mortgage scary. It's a scary thing. Um, so yeah. So let's, let's just start off with down payments because that's a question in, in the comment that we see all the time. And I don't think there's anything scarier than seeing 300 uh, uh, bank statements, but we'll, we'll talk more about that afterwards. Um, but the number, we're talking about mistakes. We're talking about issues. We're talking about things that can come up. And if you want a clean approval, your down payment is one of the foundations of your overall mortgage. Moving your money around in, in accounts is quite literally the number one thing to not do if you want a smooth approval process we could talk about all the reasons why and we actually probably will at this moment right now but the first thing is, is you're gonna have to represent and show us a document for every dollar that moves from one account to another account to another account to another account and then you're gonna have to leave us with basically like a like a reader's digest of everything that you've seen so so don't do that don't move your money into all these separate accounts and I think the worst part about that is, you know, if your money's been in your bank accounts and we can trace it, that's fine. 
but you are going to be so frustrated and we will probably get frustrated and the bank will get frustrated because we've had people that have had to send in a hundred plus separate bank statements just to track it. And when you're dealing with all this in a five day subject period, it is the most stressful and irritating thing that you can go through. So if you're planning on a purchase in the near future, keep your money in your accounts, don't move it around, don't throw it in a quick stock for a couple of days and pull it back out because you're going to have to show everything. Yeah, and that leads us into to like investment conversation and, and moving money around into different locations because of the investments and what you're doing. So that that point that you brought up, Derek, about let's just I'm going to pop my money into a you know GIC or or uh, into some type of investment for a period of time uh, for my down payment. That would be the second mistake right away. Don't put your money into an investment that you cannot fully access immediately and at any time. I've seen clients put themselves into investments that they that are literally locked away for a year and um, they couldn't access it for their down payment. So they had to go beg, borrow or steal from a parent or they quite literally couldn't use it for a down payment. Yeah, and it's a great point. And in addition to that, if you're putting money into an investment, you're probably hoping that it goes up in value, right? But if like, if that's your 5% down and you're hoping that this stock goes up tomorrow, but it crashes and your down payment's gone, you have now just killed your purchase, right? So if you're close to purchasing and you have your money and you're thinking about making some risky investment, probably take a second uh, a second look at that before you actually do it. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Okay, so let's talk about the next one here, down payment cash. Uh, guys, uh, it's great to have cash. We see actually, it's, I'm actually surprised how often we see this. Uh, I think I talked about this in a previous, a previous episode where I had a client who had to race up, uh, the number one to go get a bunch of cash out of a safe at his mom's house. Um, I've had clients who've kept cash under the bed, which I thought was a fake thing, but it turns out it's real. And, um, I think after the pandemic last year, I don't know why, but a bunch of people raced to pull their money out of the bank and then they wanted to buy. Yeah, you can't hold your money in cash. It needs to be in an account that can be tracked electronically that you can show records of. Otherwise, we can't use it. Yeah, and you know, when you have these conversations, a lot of people are like, what, you don't trust me? Like, you don't trust that I take the money from my bank account and put it in the shoebox? Because I really do that. And it's not necessarily a trust thing, and it's not that the banks think you're lying, but it's the Anti-Money Laundering Act, AML, that all of the banks have to follow. And we have to trace every single dollar backwards 90 days. Like, literally 90 full days, it has to be traced to the source. And if we can't do that, they can't accept it. And we ran into situations where people literally can't use their down payment. And it's a massive issue, right? People are scrambling, trying to get family. Like you said before, you know, can your mom kick in that money and give you a gift? And you figure out the cash thing uh, behind the scenes. But... If that's not an option, you could really shoot yourself in the foot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, so one of the oddest things uh, in terms of investments right now is cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, all these different types of crypto options. And I'm seeing a lot of news articles and, and things online about people trying to buy homes with cryptocurrency. Um, not a thing yet here in Canada. Uh, now, you could potentially do it if you're gonna buy it outright and the seller accepts your cryptocurrency. I mean, that might be an option. But if you're using it for the purposes of a down payment, um, we're not there yet, guys. Have you seen the Dogecoin? 
No. It has a little Shiba <laughs> in you. It has a picture of a dog on this cryptocurrency, and it's the, the latest thing. I think it crashed the other day. But I think the main reason that you can't use it is because it's very hard to track. I don't think you can get proper statements for where, wherever it is that this money sits. I know it's a massive thing. I can't wrap my head around it just yet. Um, but anyways, it's not, it's, uh, it's not accepted for real estate transactions as of now. I'm sure it will be. Yeah. Um, who knows? Maybe we even see uh, the Canadian dollar turn into some sort of a digital coin in the near future oh we're throwing a and pug china's on already coin. working on it we're throwing a pug on the coin it's happening if we're gonna have a do doge coin we're gonna have a pug doge coin <laughs> all right all right thing. so so crypto is a no no to crypto uh what about money if it's overseas uh wh what about that what about that yeah so not really an issue um if it's your money it just has to be in a canadian account for 30 days before closing so if you have a quick closing and you're trying to scramble and get money over from wherever um, that could be an issue if you're getting a gift from family and it's overseas same thing it does have to be in a canadian account for 30 days so if your money's coming from overseas just make sure that we know or your mortgage broker or your banker knows about it because if it comes up last minute uh, again another issue to deal with yeah so do not just randomly transfer money last minute from overseas into uh, your wallet and then try to use it for the purpose of down payment. It actually usually has to sit in Canada in an account for usually 30 days uh at, at one of the uh one of the banks here in canada to actually consider using it and as you mentioned you got to show the source and you got to track it around and they actually track it based on the country that it's coming from too right so it actually does make a difference if it's coming from azerbaijan versus china versus the us so it actually is interesting to kind of look at those I've, I've never had anybody transfer money from azerbaijan but it'd be interesting to see what happened if they did so <laughs> what not to do don't just transfer money from a random country and not tell us all right. Yeah. I think the biggest takeaway on down payment is if you're not sure, ask questions, ask lots of questions, um, because sometimes if you don't tell people things and it gets missed in conversation, these things can arise after you've given your deposit and committed to buying a home. Right. So just make sure that uh, your mortgage broker knows everything about you and your money. Never assume, guys. Never assume. All right. Let's talk a little bit about income. We're going to talk about mistakes in regards to your income. Man, I, that episode alone, like we're going to do a separate episode. We've talked about income in the past, but like legitimately, I think we probably go on for an hour about income and what not to do. So we'll, we highlighted a few of the key ones right off the bat that we see more frequently than not. And uh, they might shock people. Um, I, I'm happy to talk about the first one because I've experienced people doing this before. Don't quit your job. Do not quit your job. You want to buy a home. You want to get a mortgage. Don't quit your job. I'm not talking. I'm talking about like after you're approved, right before you're approved, whatever it is, just don't quit. Wait the three months. I know you hate your boss, but just, just wait. After completion, you can do as you please. The bank is not going to come take the mortgage away from you as long as you make your payments, but bang on, do not quit your job. If there's an opportunity to change jobs, Luckily, a lot of people actually ask before doing things, but if there's an opportunity to change jobs and let's say your mid pre-approval or your mid approval, it's not necessarily a no, but we need to know the details of the new job. Is the salary the same? Is there a probationary period? Is it commission based, right? Like there's all these different things that we have to look into, but yes, hundred percent. If you can ride it out, don't quit your job. Don't change anything. Keep it all as is um, and you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do not, uh, do not quit, please. Uh, changing hours midterm. That's actually something I've seen a fair amount of um, as well and something we don't recommend. So an example of that would be someone going to 
uh, from a full-time position or they've had a track record of doing 40 hours. And then, you know, uh, randomly they start doing 28 or 29 or 27 hours and these the hours start to shift. And that's maybe because they go part-time or maybe they just made an agreement verbally with their boss. I see that a lot, maybe smaller size businesses and labor jobs that people do that sort of thing. That makes a huge difference because guess what? Your lender will actually review a few things. They're going to look at your actual pay stub and they're going to look at, did you hit 40 hours or did you hit 37 and 33 and 29 and, and miss uh, your 40 hour work week a number of times? And that will actually make them recalculate what you qualify for later on the process. Uh, guys, not a good idea. Stay consistent till the end. Yeah, a lot of people think that they have their job letter that shows $60,000 a year that they're good, right? But just like you mentioned, like if those pay stubs are in a position where you're three months into the year and, and they're going to kind of calculate that over 12 months, if it works out to 54, they're going to say why, right? Like, are you not getting your full-time hours? And if we can't prove some reasoning behind that, your income will get cut back. Now, for the most part, when you've been through an actual approval, like you have a, a, an accepted offer on a property or you're refinancing and we have an approval from an institution, once your income has been signed off, meaning they've reviewed the pay stub, they've reviewed the T4s in the job letter, for the most part, you are okay, but banks do have the ability. They do have the ability to ask for more pay stubs. They do have the ability to pull credit again. Do they always do it? No, pretty rare. But if they do and it's your situation um, and something has changed, it could really skew your financing. Uh, one thing that's really changed my mindset since the pandemic hit, because if you rewind 12 months, we were having conversations with people that were buying homes and it's like, are, are we about to be laid off and we're committing to buying a property? What happens to our financing? Right. And in those situations, I was actually recommending that all of our clients have a hard conversation with their boss. Right. Like, cause they're about to remove subjects and give a deposit. You should talk to your boss and say like, do you think I'm going to be laid off? How do things look? Right. And even, even now, if you're going through this process and you're committing to buying a home, feel free to have a conversation with your employer to see if there's, you know, any cutbacks coming in the near future. Is your job secure? Right. It's not a bad thing to, uh, to bring up when you're committing to a purchase around here. That's a really good point. Um, and, uh, on the note of what not to do, don't ask your employer to put a specific amount of hours on your job letter that does not match your actual income. So conversely speaking, maybe you're not just not guaranteed the hours, which is okay. As long as we know that that's the case, we'll calculate your income accordingly. So um, I've seen people that I don't know if they're trying to be sneaky or the HR doesn't understand or what goes on there. But um, I've seen a lot of situations where people's uh, job letters just straight up don't match their income. And so uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and assume most of our clients aren't asking that to happen. So but don't do that. Don't ask your HR to put a, a number that doesn't match your income. Now, if you are actually getting those hours, then that is important. And you do want to put that on there. But don't do it if it's not the case. That's pretty key. Right. Because otherwise, on our end, like we're to a degree at the mercy of verifying the information that we receive as best as we can. And uh, it just doesn't help the situation. It can just make it more confusing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. On from there. Um, okay. Let's talk about uh, <laughs> equity qualification and equity qualifying. Now, to be clear, we're talking about just like conventional AAA financing here. We're not talking about private financing or anything of that nature. Um, but this is like, I don't know how many times a, a week that I hear this is, uh, oh, I'll have no problem. Especially, um, you know, my dad said this to the, re to this, re to me recently, which is, oh, I'll have no problem qualifying. My home's worth a million bucks. I can get a $500,000 mortgage. That's okay. He's not actively working right now. 
He doesn't have a typical source of income. I love you, dad, but you don't qualify for what you're hoping for, for that type of mortgage, I should say. So the assumptiveness is key here. It's funny you bring up the dad thing because it's super common and dad was probably not wrong the last time he got his mortgage 10 years ago, even five years ago, there were equity programs. If you had 35% down and a reasonable application, you could typically get a mortgage on a property that has been completely stripped away in the last three years or so. Um, So it's changed a lot. So don't necessarily listen to your parents when it comes to financing, talk to someone who's actively working in the business because this stuff changes every single year. Regulations and guidelines quite literally change all the time. So true, so true. Okay, so other things not to do on in regards, eh, let's try that again. (laughs) Other things not to do, what to watch out for. Uh, I think when it comes to your income, uh, we're gonna talk about income and liabilities to a degree here disclose your separation, your child support, or or let us know that you are receiving your child support. Now, this kind of fits into a couple of categories. It could fit into liabilities. It could fit into income. It could fit into a few different things. We're going to talk about it as income. If you're receiving the child support, fantastic. What not to do is to just say, I'm getting child support and you're showing bank statements, but you actually don't have a separation agreement. So make sure that whatever information that you're telling us is backed up by paperwork that we can prove. So either tell us do you have it or you don't have it and back it up. That's key. Yeah. And on the flip side to that, we see a lot of people that maybe went through a separation 15 years ago or 20 years ago. Um, and in their mind, they're currently single. So when they do a mortgage application, they'll enter it as single. Um, but they might have a child support payment or they might have an alimony payment that they're making. Um, and registering yourself as single prompts us to not ask any further questions about a separation agreement or the details of that separation. So if you've ever been through a legal separation, you have to list yourself as separated or divorced or whatever category you fall into so that we can ask the proper questions. Yeah. Like a terrible situation would be us not knowing because it's never come up uh, and you go and purchase your home just to find out after the fact that the lender maybe sees a thousand dollar alimony payment coming out of your account every single month and you no longer qualify for your mortgage. So just full disclosure. And I don't even think it's a disclosure issue necessarily. I think people just don't know that they need to tell us that sometimes, right? But it's a big one. It happens all the time. Yeah, exactly. I, I think the biggest thing is uh, if you're not sure, disclose everything, everything to us. Like we're your lawyer for your mortgage. So what not to do? Don't withhold information. That's the key to that one right there. Let's move into self-employed individuals. Now we did a full episode about self-employed. I, I think it was a month ago or a month and a half ago, but this is not so much about uh, what self-employed people should do right now. These are just going to be a couple quick ones on what not to do. And I know that this first one also impacts people who are not self-employed but typically it's self-employed individuals don't avoid paying tax guys pay the tax man pay the tax bill that is really 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 important even if there are potential ways to get out from under it you could we've seen collections we've seen uh you know hundreds of thousand dollar bills these types of things you can't get a mortgage if you owe all this back taxes without paying it off Yeah. And honestly, it's like clockwork. People that are new in business and maybe they've been an employee for the last 10 years, they're just so used to not having to pay their own taxes. And you get into business, whether you have a good year or a bad year, there's a tax bill at the end of the day. And most people don't get in the rhythm of accounting for that and setting money aside, right? When you're in your first year of business, it's usually a struggle. Um, But if you're new into any type of business, make sure you're accounting for that. Because I've seen people that are three years in and they just can't catch up. 
right? It can get pretty ugly. Um, and I think also tying into avoiding paying tax, it ties into income, right? Like a lot of people that are self-employed at the end of the year, their accountants like, you know, we can probably write this down quite a bit. And that's going to shoot you in the foot when it comes to financing with conventional lenders anyways. So, uh, you know, it always seems awesome at the end of tax year to get that bill down. But when it comes to financing, uh, there are other options. Obviously, there's alternative lending and stated income and all that kind of stuff that we've talked about a handful of times. But um, try to keep your income at a reasonable level because it will allow you to take advantage of opportunities when they arise. Yeah, there's a few follow up ones on that. Not consulting uh, with your accountant, which leads into uh, not using an accountant. So I'm actually working on a, a file with a gentleman right now where he has not worked with an accountant in the past and smart guy, like he's able to do his own accounting, but that can cause and is causing a negative impact on what he would like to do from a qualification standpoint, uh, because quite simply, there's no third party verification. So if no other reason than the fact that a third party is going to verify your income, uh, then get an account. In addition to that, I mean, you have somebody that's a, just like we're mortgage brokers. We do this all day long and accountants doing this all day long. So they're going to help you understand what you might be able to claim, what you might not be able to, and just keep those records short and really clean. And a good accountant, like, yeah, they're going to cost you some money, but they can usually find a way to save you some money as well and give you good advice. It's, it's money well spent. And just another point on this topic is uh, I have a client right now, self-employed does his own taxes and he would have no idea he's fairly new to being self-employed and the way that he's claiming his income it's registering on a line where you typically wouldn't see it and out of you know quite a few different lenders that we ran it past there was only a couple that would actually recognize his income and that's simply because he didn't know right he just didn't have the knowledge um so again accountants can be uh can be a very useful tool yeah in business yeah 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 so so true hey we talked about this earlier but the same, you see this mostly with people who are either you know contracted self-employed this could also be like people who well not right now but we're working at a casino or a restaurant is uh taking money in cash and not depositing it uh you know obviously there's a lot of businesses that will do money do business eh, there's a lot of people who will do business uh cash take the money, stick it into a drawer or something of that nature. We can't use that income. So you're not paying tax on it, which is great, but we cannot use that income for the purpose of qualification. So, I mean, at the end of the day, sometimes it's just as simple as sticking that money in your account and we can at least look at the deposits to see where they're coming from to understand what we can do with that. So if you're taking cash and you're not depositing it, we can't even look at it. It's not even considered for us. Yeah, tips are huge. Like a lot of people that work in restaurants make the bulk of their money in tips and a lot of them don't put it in their bank. They don't claim it. Um, and when it comes time for financing, if that's not registered on your tax return, so put it in the account. Again, if you need an accountant, get an accountant, but claim some of it because it will go a long way. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty key. I mean, in addition to that, like, let's just kind of keep coming down here. When you're looking at the other considerations of being self-employed, uh, th this one right here is is uh, important, which is talking about being the employee of your own company. So uh, we received, I think we talked about this one on the show, but just in case we didn't, uh, I have seen clients um, put their job title and their hourly rate and their salary and say, signed by the president, but the president is themselves of their own company. So it <laughs> doesn't work. A lender will not recognize that. It's a good try. I appreciate it. I give an A for effort, but it's not going to work uh, when it comes to a lender. Yeah. And there's a lot of research done, right? Like people think they can pull a fast one on a bank. We have to keep in mind these are banks and they follow a lot of regulation. And I had some clients that actually came 
to, they were referred to me and they had been through the motions with another mortgage broker. The other mortgage broker ran all the numbers as if they were self-employed and they didn't qualify based on their two-year average. They then came to me, they were referred to me, uh, and they positioned themselves as employees of a company with job letters and salaries and pay stubs uh, so that we could use their employment income. So I didn't know at the time that they were self-employed. Um, and sure enough, you know, you check the website and it shows that he's the founder and she's the bookkeeper. Um, and you pull the corporate documents and you see that they are, in fact, owners, right? So um, doing these types of things to try to get around it will bite you in the ass. There is no question. Banks will not, like, there's no way to get through it. Um, so anyways, if that's something that you're thinking about doing, I wouldn't bother. I would take an alternative mortgage for a year, get into the market and restructure your income if you need to. Yeah. It's uh, it's not a good way to go about it. What else not to do? If your parents own the company, don't not disclose that to us. Same thing. If you're, if you're working for a family business, uh, there, now there's a lot to, to look at here, but just don't hide that from us. Let us know that it is a family business. Cause if, again, if the lender looks it up and ties one and one together and figures that out, that can completely change your finances. And, and not to say that this would happen in your case scenario, but I, I hate to say it. Uh, some parents are thinking they're doing their kids a favor and they put down a higher number on the job letter and increase their payroll for a month or two. And then, and then suggest they're making more money than they are. Again, I don't think that's the, the norm. I think that's probably not very common, but that being said, it has happened and it can happen, which is why lenders are quite smart and uh, they'll pick that up right away. So let us know. Yeah. All right, let's talk about I think just one more thing before we move off income, this actually ties back into the employee role. Um, but I've had a lot of people come and say I'm employed, but I'm not working. Like I do have a job there, but I'm not working. I'm on leave. Right. And this can be stress leave. This can be anything. I actually had a client that was given 12 months of leave so that he could go and study, which is pretty cool. Uh, a very rare opportunity that he wanted to take advantage of, but it hindered financing dramatically. So um, being on leave, if you're not actively working, you can't produce a pay stub that shows like physical work hours. It can't be leave hours that are being paid. That kind of stuff will not fly with a lender. Um, the only time that that can typically work is if you have a return to work letter. So if you're off, it could be maternity leave. It could be any type of a leave. If you have a letter confirming the specific date that you are going back to work, as long as it's within 12 to 18 months, depending on the lender, in those situations, we will be able to use it. Outside of that, if there's no return to work date, if you cannot get that confirmed, you're gonna run into a wall and we will not be able to use your income. Good points, good points. Now, where do we go with credit? Credit could be, again, we've talked about this in previous episodes. We're gonna do a full credit episode again in the future because I feel like we could flesh that out a little better, but just do a rundown of things not to do when it comes to your credit. I mean, again, this could be an hour long conversation and we wanna keep this one short and sweet. Uh, number one, don't miss any payments. It doesn't matter. So you gotta keep in mind, like from a from a credit perspective, if uh, a lot of people say to me, oh, you know, I, you know, I only missed uh, a small, you know, $50 credit card payment that actually could look just as bad as missing a, you know, a $500 payment, because the reality is, is you're, you're basically saying like, I cannot make this small repayment. And they're thinking, if you can't make that small credit card payment, how the heck can you make this continued mortgage payment? There's a lot to it. And it's a lot more than the size of the payment, but missing anything in general should just be a flat no. So set up your auto deductions. So you, you don't miss payments. Yeah. Good point. Um, <clears throat> on that note, Sometimes if people are selling and buying and they don't have liquid cash, like they don't have a savings account that they can use for their deposit on the next purchase, sometimes people will use an unsecured line of credit, uh, which could be 20, 30, 40, 50,000 dollars. 
And depending on how far out your completion date is, if you're completing in five or six months, or maybe it's a pre-sale and you have this line of credit that's sitting there completely maxed out and you're just making the interest only payments, that can really damper your credit score as well. So if you are gonna be using debt for your deposit, uh, line of credit specifically, make sure that you are trying to pay down some principal over time because having credit products sitting at 100%, technically anything over 70%, will actually hinder your credit score over time. Yeah, that's 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 a really good point. Um, the other thing that you wanna think about is what not to do. Don't hide loans from us. So interesting thing about the, the mortgage space is that there's actually, believe it or not, two credit reporting agencies in Canada, and there's TransUnion and Equifax. Now, typically most mortgage brokers will pull what we call an Equifax credit bureau, which is the most commonly and widely used in all of Canada. But the other one, the TransUnion, is uh, one that a lot of banks will use and a lot of lenders will use. So don't forget about that. And in fact, the insurance agencies will even use both of them. So the point of what I'm trying to get to is don't not disclose your debts. When we do a summary with the client, we do a full review, we send them a breakdown of all of the, the information that we see, all the assets and liabilities, and we ask people to look through that and verify for accuracy. You're not helping yourself if you don't do not disclose a loan to us now, because if you don't disclose it now, it's possible that you can go shopping, get pre-approved, you know, buy a home, and then they find out, oh, uh, there's actually this car loan reporting on a different bureau, which could cause an issue later. And that is your responsibility to make sure you do that. Yeah, bang on. We've ran into this many, many times and it's a very unpleasant conversation, right? Because we quite literally have no idea. Um, and so full disclosure is super important. We can try to work around it or at least qualify you properly if we know. Um, another big thing on these loans is if there's a massive car loan showing on your credit bureau, but you're self-employed and it's technically paid by the business, if it's paid through the business account, if we can see it on the company financials, let us know because sometimes we can get around uh, debt servicing for that payment as long as we can prove it's being paid by the business. So again, let us know if that's the case, if you are self-employed and you do have some debt that is paid for by the business. Yep, very true, very true. Uh, other considerations for credit that we'll just touch on really quickly. Again, this could fall under credit, it could fall under liabilities. Uh, don't buy a car before completion. I, I don't even wanna spend any more time talking about that. Do not go finance a new car. It's not a good idea. Not only will uh, a car company, is a little hot tip here, they'll typically try and pull your credit three, four, five, six, seven times to find an option there for you. So keep that in mind when they say they're shopping different lenders. They don't actually do it like us where we shop one credit bureau and look at different lenders. They actually have to pull a credit bureau for each company. So not only does that hurt your credit, but in addition to that, that's gonna show up and report on the bureau. And I've seen it happen before, and I'm sure it'll happen again, where uh, uh, a lender will actually opt to pull your credit right before completion or the insurance agency. If they do, that's you. Basically, that's going to be impacting you, and it may stop you from qualifying for the loan. So we just say don't qualify for anything, and that includes other things, right, Derek, and like other types types of considerations that you could uh, finance. Oh yeah, like honestly, anything. I just had a <clears throat> have a guy that's buying a property right now, um, and at the same time as he was applying for his mortgage, he applied for a boat loan, and I mean the guy will qualify, but uh, obviously somehow they ended up at the same bank. And so the guy who's processing the mortgage, he's like, hey, the client just applied for a pretty large boat loan. Um, is this going into place? If so, we have to debt service it, right? So anything, um, if you need to get a new credit card, probably not going to be an issue. Check with us first. It probably won't kill your application, but don't rack it up. Um, you can use your credit cards before completion. Just have the ability to pay them off in case your credit is pulled by the lender or the insurer. 
Wait for the boat. You need the driveway anyways. Come on. <laughs> Don't buy a boat. Love it. All right. No yeah. boats. No, uh, some people will, will finance like a lot of furniture and that kind of stuff. Just wait. Hold on. Okay. So a couple things not to do again. I, I will put these into the obvious uh, section, um, but we're going to talk about it anyways, because it's obviously not that clear to certain people. So number one, you're not tricking anybody by making up your documents. This is called fraud. This is called mortgage fraud and you're going to get in trouble. Um, it'll, it'll look silly. Uh, you're going to get disqualified. You're going to get caught. Uh, they catch you eventually. Just don't do it. Don't do it. Simple as that. Yeah. I don't know what else to say there. If you are going to do it, don't call us. <laughs> don't come near us. Uh, it's not worth it, right? Uh, do some planning, wait a little bit, keep saving, pay off your debt, whatever it is that's holding you back from achieving financing, just plan it out. You'll be able to get there at some point. There's no point in going through this because it'll get caught, whether it's us or with your broker or the bank, and it'll be pretty embarrassing when the time comes. Yeah, I mean, like, it's interesting because in Canada, we don't have a lot of the technology and open uh, credit options at the US. Like in the US, um, a lot more lenders and a lot more people have access to your credit information, which means actually fraud is funny enough, more difficult to, to do because they can see what your job is and verify it electronically. They can verify your credit. They can verify all this information. So I think it's less prominent in certain ways down there. That's coming to Canada, guys. So um, just keep that in mind as you go forward. Plan it out. Do it the right way. You'll get qualified if, if you have the information to do so. Just don't do it. Um, yeah. And honestly, I think one of the worst things is if, if an actual institution catches on to fraud, you're flagged with that institution, but you're also flagged with Equifax, TransUnion. So the next time you go to apply for that mortgage, when you're actually in a position to do so, uh, you're probably going to have a very, very high level of uh, explanation required, uh, extra documentation, and it's going to be a nightmare for the rest of your life. So just avoid it. Yep. Not needed. And uh, good old Dino, who's not on the show today, uh, told us a story uh, a few weeks ago about a circumstance that has come up in the past where... Um, uh, there was a, a an individual who uh, whose um, employer or employee, I should say, someone else at the company, uh, lied about their return to work income or their income at the job. So basically, the short version is this individual was no longer working, and uh, when the lender called to verify, the individual they called falsely claimed that they were working at the company. So there were two people at fault there, and the lender found out and they got flagged and now that person's going to have a heck of a hard time getting a mortgage anywhere uh so you're permanently flagged if that happens so uh short version don't lie about stuff don't get other people to lie about your stuff um if you can qualify you will qualify you're going to get found out eventually guys and then you're just going to be flagged for good it's it's just not a good idea bang on yeah. <laughs> All right. Last but not least, what not to do. Let's talk about listening to people and getting advice. This is probably the biggest part about the whole podcast. Where should you get your information? Where should you get your advice? Uh, what should you do? So like full disclosure, obviously we are a mortgage finance company. We help people finance. We want to work with people to help them get mortgages. Not everybody, but a lot of good people. Um, so that being said, uh, where you get your information, like we're trying to make this podcast always as unbiased as possible so people can make their own educated decisions, but where you get your information is key. So like what not to do, number one, don't talk to somebody who has not financed a mortgage in the last week. 
don't do it. Like it doesn't make any sense. So don't go talking to, I mean, if you can, if you want to, but don't get advice to someone, uh, a financial advisor at a bank who doesn't actually arrange the financing and doesn't underwrite files. Don't get advice from, no offense again to dad, my dad, your dad, anybody's dad. Don't get advice from dad. Dad hasn't got a mortgage in three, five, seven, 10, 15 years, and he's not doing what you're doing. Um, you know, don't go out there and just Google on Reddit uh, information. There is some good source, but what I found, and I jump on Reddit all the time too, is a lot of it's wrong and a lot of it's based on opinion and a lot of it is bias. So I don't know, don't get information from false sources. That's a tough one. Yeah. I mean, the mom, dad, uncle thing is, uh, is pretty bang on. A lot of people that went through the 80s and saw the, you know, the rates skyrocket, um, they have a different take on what's going on. And, and that's fair, but you do need to talk to someone that's currently working in the market and they understand what's happening with regulation and everything that comes with that, right? Um, in addition to that, I mean, I don't know. Everything has changed. Everything has changed dramatically. Uh, we, we provide an unbiased opinion, right? Like it really doesn't matter to us where your mortgage ends up or what house you buy or how you do this, or even if you choose to continue working with us, all we're trying to do is provide the best possible outcome for you at the end of the day, um, and making sure that you understand your options. hundred percent, hundred percent. So don't get information from invalid sources. Uh, and more importantly, obviously keep in mind, I don't know if this is a don't, but if you're going to your bank, remember guys, they work for the company they're trying to sell you. So typically they're going to offer you the solution that makes sense for the bank. So, uh, that being said, I mean, this is awesome, man. We got part two coming up of this. So part two, we're going to talk about things not to do when you're buying, when you're refinancing, uh, when you're looking at your property value and what not to do in investing. So we're going to do, uh, I think this has been a good episode. We've got, we, we went pretty far, uh, 35 minutes. Holy cow. We'll do a little bit of a tighter one next time around and keep it really short. Uh, um, Derek Williamson, my, myself, Alex McFadden, uh, our other partner, Dean Lawton, will be joining us for the next episode. And I'm sure that'll be a banger. So check it out. If you guys are loving the shows, man, like leave us a review. Five star on iTunes means the world to us. We're trying to get this out to more people. And we need to hear it from you that you're loving the shows. If you're not loving the shows, tell us too. So we know exactly what you're digging and what you're not. If you want to get a hold of us, we can reach us here at Thrive Mortgage Co. on Instagram. If I could talk, that would be better. <laughs> Online, thrivemortgage.ca. Or you give us a call at 604. 4398 5575. Hope you guys enjoyed the show and we'll see you next time.